Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. So this evening, I'm sat with Eric Schaefer, CEO for Ascensis, the leading provider of mission-critical software technology for the flexible office space. Eric's career spans 12 years, all in Asia, mostly in China, and he was until recently the head of APAC for WeWork Real Estate Advisory. Well, Eric, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Well, let's 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 get started, Eric. Because I mean, uh, uh, this is I think this is probably going to be a slightly different sort of story for lots of different reasons. So I'm excited to get it going. Tell us how we, uh, how chapter one begins. Sure, happy to. And uh, you know, maybe the best place to to get started is just the overall theme for my career uh, and and some things I've I've come to believe, uh, which is that you know everybody gets lucky in life uh, and in their careers. And I think successful people are the ones that recognize when that's happening and lean into it. So, you know, any success I've had, I, I credit to spotting that luck and embracing it fully. And a lot of that has come through in being drawn to and trying to ride growth waves. But stepping back a little bit to, as you said, chapter one, uh, it, it begins for me uh, as a pretty typical suburban uh, North American upbringing, uh, middle class in New Jersey, where I think I had a pretty typical middle class upbringing. I was fortunate to attend university in Atlanta, Georgia at Emory, where I studied history. And it was during that time uh, that I was there that I was thinking about where to spend some time abroad. Everyone around me was going to programs in Europe. Uh, or Latin America, which didn't uh, seem that interesting to me. And it was on a, a random afternoon that I uh, strolled into the uh, study abroad office and saw that there was a program in Shanghai. Now, this program didn't need any Chinese language requirements and thought, when will I have the opportunity to go to China or Asia again? So I decided to go and spend a semester there you know, mostly based on the fact that I had taken a survey Chinese history course and was pretty interested in the subject. And I think within a week of arriving, I decided that the, the place was for me. I became very, very interested. You could even say sort of addicted to the growth uh, that you could see in China, uh, the history, the culture, the language, which I started learning. And it was also very clearly apparent to me that this could be a great place to start a career, uh, to get into business. And so uh, that summer, I actually went back to Atlanta and applied for and received a research grant for my honors thesis, which happened to be on Shanghai's urban development in the 1920s and 30s. So that summer, I went back and at this time, uh, the, you still found housing through online classifieds. And so I, it just so happened that the first ad I saw was for this beautiful duplex penthouse on the Bund, 
the amazing views of Pudong and the Huangpu River. And by complete chance, uh, the person on the other end of that ad uh, ended up being my my boss and, and mentor and later business partner. So when I talk about sort of getting lucky, I think that's that's one early example where I saw that was happening. And so over that summer, uh, I spent a lot of time networking. And a year later, after graduating undergrad, I had to decide what to do. I had an offer from my roommate slash boss slash mentor to come work under him at Collier's doing office tenant rep. I think I was making something like 3,000 RMB a month and living in a guest room, but I was loving it. And I got to learn the industry the old fashioned way, uh, pounding the pavement and uh, working with industry folks on the ground. Now, uh, I was actually admitted to Georgetown Law School at the time, which was surely the safer bet, but it was never even really a decision. I, I knew I wanted to be in China, be working there. And that was the start uh, of how I got my career going in, in Shanghai. So Rick, tell us a bit more then about, about how this sort of early days of this sort of real estate career was then with, uh, with Colliers, you know, different, different job, certainly different location uh, than anything you've been ex- experienced sort of before. So I'm, I'm curious, how did, how did you manage to, uh, to get started and, and, and sort of how steep a learning curve was it? Sure. I think real estate is one of those industries that you learn by doing rather than academically. And it was a very quick education uh, and learning curve that I think anyone getting started in the industry, particularly on the brokerage side, tends to experience. Uh, For me, perhaps the only caveat was that it was in China and a lot of it taking place in, in Mandarin Chinese. But a lot of those things that are universal you know, the importance of relationships, uh, the importance of creative problem solving. I don't know, of course, the technicals on, on how things work and, you know, how buildings are financed, built, sold, leased, all of that was really the focus, I'd say, of those early years. You know, this was really core kind of tenant rep type of work, working with occupiers, uh, understanding there are needs and what goes into leases, understanding the market, what makes a market, all of those things were really part of that, that early education, which over the years has really been very, very helpful uh, and something I've come back to time and time again. You know, I think uh, as an investment broker uh, and, and many other stops along the way in my career, that real sort of understanding of how you actually make money with with an office building or really any other commercial real estate asset class was was pretty crucial for me. You know, we let's do our, our research here, and I, and I and I did manage to speak to um, uh, to some of the guys who were around you in these very very early days, and this is how they described you: a very sharp individual who came across as being both capable and ambitious. He took the role at Colliers like a fish to water. Now, given what you what you said there about sort of, you know, it's an industry that you've got to immerse yourself in. You've got to, you know, you've got to you got to learn whilst whilst doing it. Did it feel as smooth as this uh, as this insider sort of describes? You know, uh, well, those are very very kind words from him. But 
from from my position now, when I think back on it, uh, I, I'd say sort of, you know, certainly there were many, many road bumps, but at the time uh, I was I was just learning, learning so much every day. And I think that's in any career, but particularly in, in real estate, something that's the most exciting. So surely there were days where things didn't go right. And uh, I wish I was uh, closing more deals or, or even making more money, but uh, the best kind of currency was really knowledge at the time and continues to be. So that period of just sort of being able to be a sponge and kind of have free reign to, to soak up everything was, was really quite great. And I think you, forgive me if, I, if I'm wrong, but when you just sort of described the decision-making to, uh, about sort of coming to China, it was, it was, it was China, right? It wasn't, it wasn't real estate that was, that was, that got you on a plane um, uh, from Atlanta. Um, did you have any second thoughts about about the job whilst you were in in China? No, really none. You're correct. You know, it was sort of a, a China first decision. I I would have sort of come and and done it, done anything that someone would have hired me to do. But I very quickly uh, became enamored with the real estate industry and all the personalities and excitement that that comes with it. So All right, then. I, I don't, you know, I don't think I had any, any second thoughts on, on industry or, or choice. Uh, and, and a few years thereafter, I did get an opportunity to, to branch out into other industries and eventually found myself back in, in real estate. So I think early on, uh, I'm fortunate that the industry found me, but I'm also very happy to have made a career in it. All right then. Well, let's get started then. What's um, uh, what follows after after these earliest days then with Colliers? Sure. So, not too long after arriving, uh, my boss and, and some other colleagues were recruited to go over to Cushman and Wakefield and start up their investment and capital markets business for China, which was very much a right place, right time opportunity that I got to go along for the ride with, and. We enjoyed a great deal of success for, for a few years. And this was really my first experience in kind of building from the ground up. You know, we, we came into that function with just four of us and myself and my other sort of more junior colleague were really responsible for just about everything you can think of. And also, you know, at an early stage of my career, had an opportunity to be to be very hands-on, to be sitting, you know, in the boardroom at those big meetings with a lot of key players in the industry. And it was really good for just learning the ropes in, in real time. After a few years, for a number of reasons, uh, I decided to leave Cushman. Uh, and I remember my CEO at the time telling me some career advice. You know, he said that really not much matters before you're 30 that that's the best time to be testing out what works, what you like, and even thereafter to sort of think about it in five-year increments. So I took that advice and I did spend some time exploring other parts of the industry and even other industries. So I, I worked at a boutique hospitality developer for a bit where we were focused on uh, building uh, resorts in, in Sri Lanka and also some boutique hotels in Shanghai. Uh, and then I did spend some time at a private equity firm 
focused on clean technology. But after a few years, Cushman called and, and asked us to come back, my, myself and my boss at the time, and we were happy to agree. As I mentioned, I got some good time out to see what other industries were like and if I wanted to stay in them and ultimately realized that real estate uh, is, is what I wanted to pursue mostly. So uh, I went back to Cushman and I think a big lesson there was also uh, for me in relationships, you know, it was because we left the first time on, on great terms and maintained a lot of great relationships that a few years later we were asked to come back. And these had another few years of success for us, which saw us focusing mostly on outbound investment. So around this time, Chinese capital outflows became a very significant part of the industry. And I quickly identified that that was an area I could add a ton of value as a cultural bridge, as a you know bridge in a global company. And so that was a focus for, for a number of years thereafter. Uh, eventually, Cushman was acquired by a competitor, which led to another inflection point, if you will, another chapter in the story. Just it was um, in this sort of um, that natural break, I wanted to just go back a little bit uh, okay. about the decision to return back to Cushman's. Sure. Was it a difficult decision to make? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. Um, it wasn't the obvious decision, perhaps that I had a few other times, but you know, I, I recognized that spending time in technology investing was of interest, or clean tech investing was of interest. But I had this great network built up in in real estate, and someone I trusted and, and looked up to asking us to come back, and a bigger opportunity at, at leadership and responsibility. So it it wasn't a very difficult decision. Um, and then sort of asking you know, a bit of a brutal question, you know, did have that experimentation of, of different roles, different different employers, you know, looking back then, was, was that a, a positive or that, had that set you back a couple of years? Great question. With hindsight, I can say it was extremely positive. But at the time, you know, it's never great when something you set out to do doesn't work out according to plan. And for a number of reasons, uh, that those a few of those roles didn't didn't work out according to plan and i had to sort of think on my feet about what to do next you know how much do i still want to stay in china did i want to go back to the states each inflection point kind of brought up a number of different questions to deal with but ultimately those also gave me resilience for probably some some bigger issues that came years later uh, when you know things didn't go according to plan on a larger scale okay well then so yeah let's get let's go back uh, back on track then you mentioned about so the um, the acquisitions of uh, yep. the Cushman of Cushman's um, tell us what happens after this sure so we were deciding what to do we had a great team that didn't really have a home in the newly merged company and we were considering, do we want to go to another competitor 
or is it time to set out on our own and create our own thing? Ultimately, the latter was decided, and this was entirely led by my boss at the time and, and still my mentor, then eventually business partner, as we set up Core Capital Asia. And this was a business built from the ground up. Uh, Core Capital Asia is a boutique investment advisory firm for real estate focused on China. And we got to go back in build mode, which by this time I started to recognize was something I enjoyed doing and uh, to an extent was pretty good at. As I mentioned, I kind of identified this niche for myself for, with outbound investment. And that's what I managed with Core Capital Asia. Around this time, uh, I was also approaching uh, a decade in, in Shanghai and for a number of reasons was ready to get back to the States. I had accomplished everything I wanted to and then some in China and thought it might be good for a change. And so by design, after a year, I went back to New York with Core Capital managing the outbound business from the States where the majority of our business was taking place. So this is Chinese capital in, into the States. Is it New York in particular or just or is it across across the US? Across markets, across asset classes. All right. So the, con the, um, the conduit. <laughs> exactly. Now, at the same time, that we were, my wife and I, heading back to New York, uh, I also thought it would be good to consider an MBA. Uh, it would have been, in my calculations, a good way to make great connections in the market, to have, if you will, a soft landing, and being an entrepreneur, uh, be able to sort of manage both. And so that's what I did uh, at Columbia University. And the MBA ended up being great for me. You know, there's, there's no universal answer uh, for, is an MBA right for me? I, I know it's a question on a lot of folks' mind, probably quite a few listeners. But I'd say for me, for me, it was a good thing because I knew what I wanted to get out of it. And I think that's the important question to answer when someone's considering that. And what, what is that? What, what, is, what is it you wanted to get out of it? The things I mentioned, uh, a soft landing back, a great network, a chance to learn a lot, uh, to have sort of a further stamp of credibility on my real estate expertise, if you will. Uh, I, I found as I got back to the States, I thought that my China experience was incredibly relevant. But in a new market, some, you know, some folks just weren't that, that concerned about what was going on in China. And so that's what I hope to get out of it. And uh, indeed, I did. In addition to all those things, it was, you know, amazing exposure to real estate leaders. There's no replacement for getting to hear directly from the likes of you know, Sam Zell, Steve Roth, and being in the room with those guys. And that's what Columbia offered exposure to for me. Part of the podcast, I talk an awful lot about 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 chapters, 
and about acceleration, followed by consolidation, and then and then there's a, a spark, right? And I think sort of the my guests so so far have have this ability to accelerate or to learn really quickly, really steeply. Then they are able to recognise then when when they're consolidating, when when lots of other people are looking around thinking, yeah, I'm feeling pretty comfortable here, I'm feeling pretty pretty happy with myself. And I think it it sounds like then those you know those last few sort of um, uh, days in, in China you'd recognise then in terms of you'd you'd probably you probably learnt as much as you you might have done, and you need you needed that next spark. And it sounds like this the the MBA might well be that that next spark. Is uh, am I on the right lines? You know, I, I love how you've put that. I'd say for me, uh, it was putting myself in a position to be open to finding that spark. I don't think it it itself was the spark, but Throughout every stop in my career, uh, I've been sort of looking for growth and trying to take part in it. And I felt that going to do the MBA, getting back to New York was going to put myself in a good position to figure out what's next. So that period of consolidation, if you will, to sort of take stock of, of everything and that, that amazing experience I had in China. Uh, that was sort of the time for me to do that. All right, then. Well, I don't want to say, uh, slow you down. Tell us, tell us what happens after this. Sure. So at the time, uh, I finished my MBA. Uh, the business... What year are we now of interest? Quick timestamp. This is 2018. Okay. So the business I was focused on, Chinese capital investing overseas, went from a very significant capital flow to a trickle to basically zero uh, for reasons entirely geopolitical. So I was taking stock of the landscape and recognized that for that reason, uh, I probably needed to find something else to do in the industry. And around this time, uh, I got a very interesting call from WeWork, who had a very compelling role that was part strategy, part finance in the real estate portfolio, and every bit of excitement uh, that the company had in 2018. Just before we go into we go into the WeWorks uh, story, let's let's roll back a little bit because you you sort of I think um, deliberately or not, you surely just played that down, right? That the um, that inflection point. You've you've spent ten years of your life. In China, developing, you know, what's obviously what was, you know, core capital was was developing as a real niche here. Those connections, bringing you know, sort of Chinese capital into the U.S., and then it stops. How is this not a a, a cliff edge for your career? How, yeah, you know, how we, how, how can you sort of pass it off quite so calmly? Well, you know, I guess I had the sort of buffer of being in that MBA program at the time. A lot of what an MBA is designed to do is to give folks, you know, direction on career and get you to that next level. So it just didn't seem like that much of a cliff edge to me, but I'm also uh, not very risk averse. So I suppose that's also a personality quirk. Fair enough. One door closes, another one opens, right? Indeed. Okay, then, well, then, uh, then tell us about this WeWork-shaped door. Sure. So your listeners can find this podcast 
so they can surely find the numerous others that cover the WeWork story. And so I won't spend too much time on that. <laughs> other than to say, you know, on the inside, what's often overlooked or lost in the numerous media that has come out and will continue to come out is that just how many smart people it took to grow a global category leader in such a short amount of time. Really some of the smartest collection of people I've ever been around and had the fortune to collaborate with and grow something with that has changed the industry permanently and in my opinion for the better is what I got to experience there. So that's what I'll say about the story at the outset. I joined in New York, uh, but shortly thereafter, the folks around me and my superiors realized uh, I speak Chinese, I have this great industry network in Asia. And so I was asked to build out this function of real estate advisory in Asia Pacific. This obviously was a big decision for my then wife and I, do we want to leave New York after just a few years and go back to Asia? But we decided that, yes, we were ready for another adventure, that ultimately, you know, our experience there and our, our networks were, were likely where we could add the most value to a lot of companies. And so I agreed to take that on. Uh, and got to take on a lot of responsibility, more responsibility for some first times in, in my career. So taking on a fully regional focus, working in markets like Japan and Korea that I had spent some time in, but not gone very deep doing work before. And really building a regional team. When I started, uh, I think we had one guy in Singapore and one guy in Korea. And within around 18 months, that grew to 16 people on this team, many of whom, you know, I got to hire and train and bring into the organization. So that was really a great experience and a lot of new responsibilities for me. I was doing this, keep in mind, uh, for a good chunk of time from New York. So a lot of time spent on planes, those, those things we used to go on before COVID, and uh, a lot of time on the road. And eventually, uh, it made sense to relocate back to Asia and decided on Hong Kong as the best market to run the region from. So my wife and I packed up, and we headed back here to Hong Kong, where I am now, and started to settle in very nicely. And about a month after was the week that the WeWork IPO uh, situation took place. Just before you tell, tell us in terms of what happened to that, how, how comfortable were you within, within your, your WeWork sort of career at this, at this stage? How much, how much time had gone by whilst you were in New York and traveling back and forth? Uh, this was about a year in. Okay, so pretty comfortable. Yeah, I'd say so. Things going well? Yeah, things going well. You know, uh, again, the WeWork growth story of you know, triple digit year on year, quarter over quarter growth, being a part of that, contributing to it, all very exciting, you know, high energy, but I'd say going very well. All right, then. And then, and then what happens with the IPO? Well, 
I can put it this way. I, would, I recall sitting in my service department in Wan Chai in, in Hong Kong, which still stunk of tear gas, which had uh, come in from the protests that had taken place outside earlier in the day, and watching Bloomberg. And the whole screen essentially had headlines relevant to me. There was, a, I think, a Columbia Business School professor being interviewed, talking about WeWork's IPO uh, issue, as well as the, the ticker headlines discussing the Hong Kong protests, you know, my, my new home and the US-China trade war and, and just so many things that were relevant uh, to me. And I think that's just a sort of good image of how this journey back to Hong Kong started. So not exactly according to plan. Now, given, you know, given that sort of the, that culmination, you know, that, that sort of eye of the storm sort of stuff, how, how were you feeling at this, this time? How much did that rock you? Yeah, uh, a fair amount, you know, a lot of uncertainty, right, as we're sort of starting uh, a lot of other change in our, our personal lives. But I was really less concerned about myself and more about my teammates and you know, those around me and those that I was responsible for. Uh, as you probably know, you know, the story soon leads to a lot of painful moments, uh, layoffs, reorganizations, you know, building exits, uh, a lot of stuff that wasn't very fun, but at the same time, uh, a very good learning experience to, to go through all that. So, Right at the beginning, though, uh, I was mostly concerned about, you know, how it was impacting everyone else around me. Now, part of my part of my research, I asked several people what they considered to be your your greatest strength, and this uh, maybe this is quite a good time then to to bring this in. One one person who worked with you quite quite closely over a number of years said that your greatest strength was the ability to bring everyone to the table and keep them focused on the end goal. And this, this was key, whether you're doing individual transactions or, or leading teams. Now, would you agree with that? Humbly, yes. How, so put yourself back, back in those, in those sort of, those sort of times. It's only, it's only sort of two, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, given all the, all the negativity, you know, outside of sort of WeWork, how, how do you manage then to, to keep your team sort of focused on an on an end goal, you know, given given that sort of that that let's say sort of you know the pressure they they might be seeing, and it's not just industry stuff. This you know this is you know this is sort of headline news, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'd say you know communication, transparency, managing expectations to the best you can. This, as everyone will know, was kind of chaos on our side in. Q4 of 2019, there was additionally chaos going on in Hong Kong at this time with the protests, but not very long thereafter, uh, a good amount of chaos was to be unleashed on the rest of the world with COVID. And we had, I suppose, a head start in crisis management. And I mean that, you know, from what we were dealing with uh, with my team, but even with, you know, COVID coming to, to 
China and, and this region first. And I was already managing a remote team, you know, used to being able to spend time with them, you know, every, every few weeks, really. And we were early adopters of Zoom management and, and Zoom meetings. And uh, during these sort of regular communications, uh, I just tried to be as transparent as possible. You know, everything that I was hearing from above, pass on, you know, down below and manage that way. Did you learn something about yourself during that time? I suppose we've all learned quite a bit about ourselves uh, over the last two years, but I think uh, resilience is, is a good one. Being able to try and focus on, you know, what, what you can control, shake off what you can't, and stay forward-looking, the, the ability to do all that. Okay. Well, then, on the top of, then, of, sort of, of looking forward, what's, what happens next? Focused on the business uh, for a year as many things continue to change. So uh, what felt like basically on a quarterly basis, re-optimizing and, and retooling uh, for what was the best outcome. So after rounds of layoffs, you know, there was a focus on optimizing the portfolio. So that meant working with our landlord partners and our tenants to find the best solution that worked for everyone, figuring out how to right-size the portfolio where we needed to, and to, let's say, update the global org. So it's, it's now well known that, you know, WeWork's China business, which I was uh, sitting within, though looking after Asia Pacific, was ultimately franchised to a partner in China. All of the, the, the work uh, and things that went into that took a lot of my time. And, you know, these were all new things uh, for me, figuring out how to franchise a, a business like that, um, figuring out how to navigate several reorgs. And while I'm not sure all of it was fun at the time, uh, again, I'm really thankful for it because, you know, that was a business school <laughs> unto itself, uh, learning so much really so fast that uh, I think you could only really get in a, an organization of that size and scale. So again, as I was going through this, I, I again started to take stock and, you know, start to think about what was going to come next. We wanted to stay here in Hong Kong and stay in Asia for the reasons that I had mentioned. And I was trying to get a sense of where that next phase of growth was going to be. Where's that kind of next rocket ship that I could attach myself to and add value to. And as I looked around the industry, uh, that answer kind of kept leading me to PropTech. PropTech in general, is very buzzy at the moment, is very kind of a hot topic. But I think what's changed from years past is COVID has really accelerated for the industry so many changes that were already underway. And I got to see a lot of that firsthand. So I 
started looking out for potential opportunities to, to jump into this space. And I was fortunate to get introduced to a census early on in that process. And what I found was uh, this amazing company that, you know, somewhat unusually for the space uh, is, is not a startup. It's you know, publicly traded on the London Stock Exchange, uh, has been around for 15 years and has this really amazing product that I saw had an excellent product market fit, particularly in, in this region where the business was looking to expand. So it didn't take extremely long uh, for both parties to agree that this was a great decision for all of us to have me come on board and, and lead and build this business in the region. First question, you mentioned the very much buzz, buzzwords of prop tech. How much prop is in actually in prop tech? Well, there's, there's quite a bit because that's the market that you're participating in. Uh, I see a lot of companies in prop tech approaching the market without a lot of industry experience and maybe institutional knowledge. And I think ultimately you need that because this industry, our industry, is very complex. It's very uh, relationship-based and it's been doing business a certain way successfully for a very long time. So if you're going to go and approach a successful real estate company and, and try and say that, you know, you're doing something wrong, you need to change. I think you, you really need to know everything about that business, everything about how it works, if you're going to have some credibility when you say that, if you're going to be able to really identify pain points and, and solve them efficiently. So I wanted to ask you then about sort of how easy decision was it then to, to leave to leave WeWork and then and then take take this next step into to, to once more, you know, and another we can all sort of see the the similarities. But it, again, it's, it's another industry, right? It's another type of employee. It's another type of job. Now, how easy was that decision? It took quite a bit of consideration, but ultimately it was pretty easy one. I really think that this sector is poised for so much growth and coming out of this period of so much change in the industry, tech is really about to be adopted in a way it has been and taken over so many other industries. So for me, it was pretty straightforward. Now it's, it's, it's of course not without risks. You know, I, I certainly considered going back to the investment side of the business, looking at private equity, real estate, uh, looking at some other CRE, but ultimately found, uh, the most opportunity for growth, both for myself and for the industry in this space. Tell us a bit more about uh, about what this what this gig is then. So um, let's introduce this uh, census properly. Absolutely. So we are a technology and software platform that provides mission critical solutions for the commercial real estate industry. We focus on office as an asset class, and in particular, uh, the flexible workspace part of the industry. Now, to me, when you talk about flex, a lot of people's minds go 
immediately to co-working. But I think the conversation has started to mature and it's really much more than that. Whereas a few years back, you know, Flex was just some part of the building stack that was probably leased to an operator outright. I think as office is changing, as the workplace is changing, flexibility is becoming the norm, not the exception. And certainly uh, landlords and all uh, occupiers, all stakeholders have to think about how to provide a more service forward, amenity rich offering against the backdrop of work from home, against the backdrop of hybrid work to keep office relevant. And what our technology does is makes that turnkey for the operator. So things like digital infrastructure, tenant engagement, uh, space booking, all of the things that go into managing multi-tenanted service-rich office space is what we provide. Now, my, my role in all this is to build up the Asia business from the ground up. We're focused initially on the markets uh, of Hong Kong, Singapore, and Australia, but intend to go to the rest of the region in due course and indeed already have customer drag into those places. Now, the you know, the, the past sort of um, half an hour we've been, we've been we've been chatting on the on the pod so far. We've been you know, obviously we've been sort of taking our, our listeners on a journey and sort of showing off your sort of armory of these these skills and this ability as you know as you mentioned right at the outset to to spot you know these sort of these rockets that are going to go and attach yourself to them so we've been learning a bit more about the skills you've got and we, i think we can all see you know, the transferable what haven't you got what have you got what have you got to learn in order to to allow you to sort of to go head on to this next level that's a good question uh of course quite a bit you know uh, i'm entering this space and I'm not a technologist, so I'm learning every day more and more uh, about actual technology uh, uh, in order to be able to better solve our customers' problems uh, and and understand the the true pain points. Learn quite a bit, quite a bit more about you know remote management for the foreseeable future. I will be unable to travel to a lot of the markets that I'm hiring in that I'm doing business in. And while I've certainly got a little bit experience, I think we all do in the last couple of months uh, and, and 18 months working on that stuff, uh, by no means am I an expert and there are certainly going to be speed bumps with that. And let me ask then sort of um, a chance now to, to when you look to the future, how big could this business get? Uh, I mean, sky's the limit, you know, JLLs, you know, popularly uh, uses the metric that 30% of office space is going to be consumed flexibly by 2030. If we're taking that to be true, and I subscribe to that, you know, 30% of a multi-trillion dollar industry is quite a big number. And I see us as a solution for every grade A office building that's out there. So we're ourselves uh, carrying pretty ambitious growth projections, but I, I suspect we'll be able to meet them and, and probably exceed them. Now that's business success. One of the last sort of questions now as we, as we wrap up, Eric, is what about personal success? Is that, has, has that changed for you over time, how you measure that? Hmm. I don't know that it's changed so much. 
I think along the way, I've measured my own success by my enjoyment of, of what I've doing, what I've been doing professionally, at least, you know, on, on the personal side, my, my wife and my young son are uh, the things I measure my success most by. But on the professional side, it's really just that question of, am I enjoying what I'm doing? Am I learning? And am I seeing growth for myself? And that's, that's kind of remained true throughout. Well, on, on that topic, Eric, I'd like to sort of draw this to a to a close, mate. I've I've really enjoyed this sort of story. You know, we've travelled across the globe. We've talked about at least two, if not not three, different industries. You've obviously led a really really interesting sort of career, and and uh, and I think it's definitely going to leave me this this idea of finding the next sort of rocket and strapping yourself to it. So, Eric, thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.